We're going to be in Mark chapter 8 today. We're taking a one-week break from the series as we go through the book of James. And we'll be back in James chapter 2, verses 14 through the end of that chapter next week. But today we're in Mark chapter 8, kind of introducing this concept of, of self-denial. Let me read for us verses 34 through verse 38. This is the, the New International Version. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world yet forfeit his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. Someone once asked John Wesley, the Anglican priest who launched Methodism, what he wanted for people. What are you trying to accomplish with people? I was thinking about that, and it led me to ask myself, what do I want for Lockwood people? More importantly, what does God want for us? Here's what I think. God wants people who understand him in the degree to which they're capable. People who recognize what he's doing and join in with him. They know what God wants for them and for their church, enough to get started anyway, and our co-workers, in Paul's daring term, with God. They are people whose lives increasingly correspond to, are an expression of the God who made and redeemed them. Imagine that we have a pianist this morning who's going to sit at our keyboard and play the Beethoven uh, sonata number eight. But let's say he's off his game a little bit today. He hits some wrong notes, and as the, the rondo in that last movement reaches its crescendo, his timing is way off. That pianist playing doesn't correspond to, is not worthy, not a suitable expression of Beethoven. It, it misses the lyrical lilt of that second movement, and it it deflates the rising crescendo of the final movement. What I want for myself and for you, and God wants for us, is for our lives to correspond to the God who created us and to whom we belong, so that our lives express what he intended. That's precisely what St. Paul meant when he prayed that the Colossians would live a life worthy of the Lord. I want us to make a difference in the world for good. I want us to be strong, not weak. People who endure. People who bear with trouble. And even more, people who do it with unfeigned and overflowing joy. People who are brimming over with profound gratitude for their lives, who are delighted to be and to be becoming the people they are, who wouldn't trade their lives with anyone 
I say I want this for myself and for you, but there's really more to it than that. This is not a fantasy. This is what God is going to make happen for his people, whom he is making alive with his own life. The abundant life that Jesus promised that overflows and transforms everything around it. People who joyfully live in God and by God and for God, who trust his power and his love and who become a means by which that power and love reaches other people. That's what I want for us, for you. Now, that's a, a glorious aspiration. The elevation of our lives to heights that we can scarcely now even imagine. But it's what God has planned for us. And yet that glory seems a far cry from our daily lives. We struggle just to get by, to get what we need, to earn a little respect. We have more experience of a creeping death than a whelming life. We spend our time and money on distractions because we long for a moment's reprieve from weariness and from hurt. And as time goes by, our distractions become the part of life that we care most about and most fiercely defend. Sometimes those distractions displease God. Wrong relationships, ones that are out of his will, behaviors that leave us unable to love or undersourced, under-resourced to give, time commitments that prevent us from being with God or being with each other, and yet we don't give them up. We think we can't give them up. They've become our life, and we don't know what to do without them. Jesus has a word for all of us in that situation. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. That's not a word we want to hear. Talk of denying ourselves, losing our lives. The Greek word there is really pazukes, which means your soul. Losing your soul. We want someone to tell us how to be happier, to be more successful, to have more time, to be respected. But often the things to which we give ourselves, those things become the bricks that form the barrier that prevent us from reaching joy, from becoming our true selves. Real fulfillment, this is something people don't get. Real fulfillment is always spiritual. Because we are spiritual. We have no choice in the matter. We are spiritual beings. But there's no spiritual fulfillment apart from self-denial. There is no spiritual fulfillment apart from self-denial. Self-denial is not something you can get around by being clever. C.S. Lewis put it this way, this is not a heavenly law which we can escape by remaining earthly, 
nor an earthly law, we can escape by being saved. There is no escape from self-denial. There's no escape because the sacrificing of self is woven into the fabric of creation. We were made this way, and it's woven into creation because God himself is this way. So when God comes to us in the person of his son, he denies himself and gives himself to the Father. And the Father gives himself to the Son. As Lewis put it, as the Son glorifies the Father, so also the, son, the Father glorifies the Son. There is joy in the dance. But it doesn't exist for the sake of joy. It doesn't even exist for the sake of good or of love. It doesn't exist for us. But we for it. See, God gave us personhood with bodies and souls so we could give ourselves back to him and to each other, body and soul, just as Jesus did. He gave us selves so we could give them away, so we could enter the dance. Jesus told people, who intend to follow him, they must deny themselves. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself. When he said that, he was speaking as an experienced guide. He knows the territory. He was telling us to do something that he himself was doing. Now, it seems counterintuitive, but sometimes the thing that feels safe is exactly the wrong thing to do. People getting ready to whitewater raft on one of the fastest rivers in the world are always instructed what to do when the raft, and I say when the raft, not if the raft, because this is gonna happen, when the raft throws them out. They're told to swim to the place where the current is fastest. That seems crazy. Why would anyone swim into the wild current of one of the world's swiftest rivers? That's what the newbies always ask and as they're getting ready to do this, and they always get the same answer. Because the crocodiles are waiting on the shore where it's calm. Stay in the current, they're told, and we'll come to you, but whatever you do, don't swim to the shore. When Jesus says, take up your cross, lose your soul, it sounds like he's saying, swim to the place where the current is most dangerous. But see, he understands how this works. The person who says, I'm not doing that, will never follow Jesus. The person who says, I'm going into the wide world to find myself, will lose himself for sure. That's where the crocodiles are. There's no following Jesus apart from self-denial. If you never de deny yourself, you are not following Jesus. We must deny ourselves. But what does that mean? It does not mean that we deny ourselves things, like an ice cream cone or a cup of coffee. Though people who deny their selves will deny themselves things when it's necessary and not when it's not. Self-denial is not the same thing as being hard on yourself. 
It is not self-loathing. If you are trapped in self-loathing, you can be sure that you have not been denying yourself. There are at least two components to self-denial, probably more, but there are at least two in the sense that Jesus used the term. When you deny yourself, you are really denying yourself the final say over your life. You're recognizing that that belongs to God alone. Imagine a young man who can't wait to get out from under his parents' authority. Some of you were that young man. So that he can be his own boss. He's tired of being told what to do. He wants to get his own apartment. So he does. He works a job or two. But it's, it's not going well. He's not getting by. So what does he do? He takes the military oath and he joins the army. No longer his own boss. He's government issue now. He doesn't have the final say over his life. Do you know what? Something like that happens when we join Christ. It is a serious decision to say, I am moving the lordship from here to there. It's the second thing self-denial means. It means denying your old identity. And that is any identity that takes precedence over your identity as Jesus' person. So maybe that old identity, how you always wanted to see yourself is, as the smart guy, the guy who has all the answers. It must be denied. Maybe it was the strong woman who knows how to take care of herself. It must be denied. Maybe it was the musician, the business person, the religious leader. They all have to go. Follower is your identity now. Now, of course, a Christ follower may be a musician, or a businessman, or even a religious leader. But those things are not his or her identity. His identity is Christ's man. Her identity is Christ's woman. We deny any identity that takes precedence over that. In other passages, the NIV translators repeatedly use the English disown to translate this word. We, we, when we deny ourselves, we disown any identity we have that's separate from Christ. So, so you say that in your baptism. When you come out of the water, you say the old me died. And the new me is forever with Jesus. You need to know that if you follow Jesus in the way of self-denial, and there's no other way to follow him, some of your friends and family may not appreciate it. Jesus clearly and repeatedly warned us that this might happen. Friends, colleagues, even family members may reject your new identity and insist on relating to you solely in terms of your old one. You might lose those people, people you love. You might, in losing them, experience suffering and rejection, the very things Jesus experienced. He was not mouthing empty words when he warned us that we'd have to take up a cross. So why on earth would anyone want to do that? 
because the way of Jesus is the way of joy. He tells us to deny ourselves, but it's all for our good, not for our harm. It's so that we can experience life and have it more abundantly. The other way, the way of self-serving, self-indulgence, self-actualization, leads to where the crocodiles are. Your old identity stands between you and the thrilling discovery of who you really are. It's the old self demanding its way and clamoring to be preserved that stifles the true self that God made you to be. Made in the image, Colossians says, of its creator. Until you deny it, deny it a place, deny it a vote, deny that that's who you really are, you miss out on the joy and the power of the life of God in you. When we get down to it, what we end up with to delight in and to joyfully give to God and to others is simply ourselves. God forbid that the only you available to delight in and to give to God and to others is a fearful, resentful, unresting, joyless, grasping self. That's not what God wants for you. He has something else in mind, something gloriously better, but the way to it is through self-denial. That's the why behind Jesus' instruction to deny ourselves. It is for our and for others, including God's great good. But the how is another matter. That's the why. But the how. See, many people are sick of the clamoring self, but they don't know how to deny it. It wears them down. It overcomes their resolve. They give in just to shut it up. They have tried to deny themselves, but they failed. And they don't know how to do it. And that's where the spiritual disciplines can help us. They are not, and Kevin already alluded to this, but this is extremely important. They are not a way to make you stronger. They are a way to make you gods. There's absolutely nothing meritorious about practicing a spiritual discipline. We are not Pharisees who boast, I fast twice a week, as if that makes us better than someone else. Adding spiritual pride to the grasping self only makes it ten times more a devil. No, we practice spiritual disciplines, not to suppress ourselves or to impress others, but to access God's transforming grace. Lockwood's discipline for the quarter's fasting. That's a practice Christians have engaged in since the very earliest times. In the second century, when the church was spreading all around the Mediterranean, its leaders recommended people fast from food twice a week. Now, that practice was misused. As any practice, Bible reading, prayer, giving can be misused. But that doesn't change the fact that it helped many people open their lives to God to receive his grace. Denying oneself and experiencing grace are two sides of one coin. In denying self, we confess God. In turning away from self, we turn to God. 
if turning to God is not the reason that we fast or do some other spiritual discipline, we will either fail miserably or we will succeed even more miserably. Come and catalog some of the benefits of fasting. But we will only benefit if we use fasting to open ourselves to God. So for that reason, fasting is combined with prayer and the scriptures over and over again. The goal is to submit, submit yourself to God's rule, deny your right to rule yourself in opposition to him, and disown any identity that's independent of him. So let me make a suggestion to you that you fast regularly for the next three months. And you might change once a month, as Kevin suggested, or even once a week. So let me give you some, some suggestions. If you're healthy enough, try fasting a meal. Now, make sure you're healthy enough. But if you're healthy enough, try fasting a meal once or twice during the week and use that time to pray. Or you might fast from watching the evening news and use that time to write encouraging notes to church people or call them on the phone, see how they're doing. One week you might cut out screen time after you finish supper, but if you do that, do it so that you can read a spiritual classic or spend time in the Bible. Not just to say, I was able to do this. Try fasting, here's a good one, from having the last word. That is a great way to deny yourself and to trust God with your reputation. Or fast from fast food. Spend a month fasting from fast food and instead sit down with another Christ follower and have a meal together. Fast from chocolates and give the money or whatever your thing is and give the money to change your world which over the next three months will support One Day with God camps, Forgotten Man Ministries, and World Vision. You can support one of those, but be creative in how you go about this. So you get the idea. We deny ourselves so that we can become ourselves. Selves that joyfully love God, love others, and even love our own lives. We do it so that we can experience God and others more richly which is another way of saying so that we can be like Jesus. All right, let's pray. Lord, people that we know, people in our own families, people that we work with, are rushing headlong in the other direction. And they're all excited about their distractions. And their life has become things. But Lord, in that headlong rush, it's hard to go in the other direction. We need your help. We're not spiritual giants. We're just your children 
but we want to be all yours, so help us. I ask you to bring good things to mind that we can fast from this week and in the months to come so that we can know you better, love you more deeply, and be available to you in the lives of others. I ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand.